Sunday, June 23rd through Friday, June 28, 1776. Among all the species and degrees of slavery that have excited the attention of mankind, there is perhaps none more pitiable than that of the ill-suited wife. She is bound by ties from which nothing but death can release her, and whatever her suffering and her wrongs is compelled by delicacy and a regard for personal reputation to submit to them in silence and conceal them from observation. That's from an unsigned colonial era letter. What with my busy night as a true spy, code word and all, and the heat in the upper gallery of Trinity Church, I fell sound asleep during the sermon the next morning. I woke when the people around me stood, so startled that I popped up from the pew and near toppled over the railing. The next two days were long and hot as I waited word from Colonel Reagan. Master Lockton did not notice his list of conspirators was a little hand-worn. He was too busy visiting the mayor at his home in Flatbush and spending hours at his warehouse reviewing his accounts. Madam took her meals upstairs. Only Becky was allowed to serve her because of Madam's fear of the demons she claimed inhabited Ruth. Becky said Madam sat sighing by the window and shuffling a deck of playing cards over and over. We did not bother keeping Ruth away from the milk, of course. Instead, we kept one ear open for the thud of Madam's feet on the stairs. When she approached the kitchen, one of us would whisk Ruth down to the cellar. Ruth understood none of this. She did not complain about the egg-sized lump on her head or anything else. After we finished our business in the privy each morning, I took her to check out our mystery garden. The green shoots were two hands tall, but gave new clue about their identity. It was perfect growing weather, especially for flowers and corn and strawberries. It was perfect weather for going home. I practiced the code word over and over until it felt like a prayer in my mouth. Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Ad Astra. I was desperate to talk to Colonel Reagan about our release from the city, but dared not leave Ruth alone in the house with Madame Lockton. The thought of Madame putting Ruth up to auction was a constant torment, like bees darting in and out of sight, daring me to swat at them. The gossip from the market was fantastical. Becky brought back tales of sea monsters chasing the British fleet and a two-headed calf born outside Philadelphia that portended all manner of disaster. Folks were prickly and fearful. Loyalist shop keepers had been tarred and feathered by angry mobs and their shops destroyed. Each day dawned hotter than the one before. Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Ad Astra. Two mornings after my meeting with the colonel, a visitor pounded at the kitchen door. I was kneeling on the other side of it, polishing the lock with the oily rag and rotten stone. The noise near me gave apoplexy. When I opened the door, I was shocked to see not a messenger, but the rotund figure of Mr. Goldbuttons. Instead of wearing a hat or coat, he had a long cloak draped over his head and his wig sat askew. He stormed past me toward the stairs. Is your master still abed? He shouted back at me. Yes, sir. Gold Buttons dropped his cloak on the floor and ran up the stairs as if his breeches were on fire. A moment later, Master Lockton bellowed like a stuck bull, then thudded heavily across the floor and yelled for Becky. The plot to kill Washington had been uncovered. I was sent to fetch Madame home, for she had gone to call on a friend. Gold buttons had vanished by the time we returned. Madame hurried to the library and told me to fetch her ivory fan from her bedchamber, for she was feeling faint from heat and excitement. As she opened the door, I caught a glimpse of the master pacing frantically, his nightcap still on his head. He looked up and saw us. 
Thank heavens, there's much to do in no time. The worst has happened, Anne. I started up the stairs to fetch the fan, moving slow as possible to overhear their words. What is the meaning of this, Elihu? Madame demanded. Listen carefully, Lockton interrupted. The rebels know. I've sent for a cart. We must burn my papers. Dear God, protect us, Madame prayed. How much do they know? Wait one moment. I took the two steps... I took the steps, two at a time, and was near the top when Madame stepped into the hall and pointed at me. Forget the fan, girl. We need firewood for the library, she said, she said sternly. Now, Lockton and Madame were exchanging heated words across the desk by the time I bought in an armload of wood and a few coals from the kitchen and the copper coal carrier. They seemed not to notice as I walked in. You are abandoning me? Madame asked. You'll be safer here. Lockton dumped a folio of papers on his desk and rooted through the mess. Aunt Seymour isn't leaving, and we have credit with all the merchants. Your aunt despises me, Madam said. You must stay to defend our name and honor. I arranged the wood so that it would not catch quickly, set the hot coals underneath it, leaned forward, and blew gently. I am guilty, Anne. They won't give me a parole this time, but as soon as the rebels are driven out, I shall return. What if they arrest me, Madam asked. Let me go with you. You must stay to keep them from stealing all that we own. Madam picked the blue china snuff jar off the desk and flung it against the wall. It shattered and left a mark on the plaster. I will not, she shouted. I will not be left at the mercy of our enemies while you slink away. Despite my best intentions, the kindling wood caught hold of a spark and burst into flame. Master Lockton crossed the room to pick up the keys that had been hidden in the jar. He placed them in his pocket, then, without warning, hit Madame with all the force in his arm. She flew into the bookcase, causing several books to tumble on the ground. I almost reached for her, but was afraid to anger Lockton any further. I command you to stay here, Anne. This is your duty, and you will obey me. He turned to me. The fire is satisfactory. Leave us. Yes, sir. As I closed the door, Madame started in again, begging him to take her with him, or at least to let her know where he was going. A carpenter soon arrived and nailed the master into a large crate marked cheese. As the final boards were being put into place, Lockton told Madame that he would first head north, then to Dr. Van Buskirk's house in Bergen County. Three men loaded the heavy crate onto a cart driven by a man I had never seen before. Becky tended to Madame's battle wounds with ointment and medicinal wine. I offered to fetch Lady Seymour, but in truth, I planned to run the news of Lockton's escape to the rebels as fast as I could. Madame insisted we all stay in the house with the doors and windows locks, locked. She passed the night burning packets of papers in the fire and demanding gallons of tea and fresh biscuits. When the soldiers arrived at dawn to arrest the master, his business papers were all ash and the crate of cheese was long gone. The angry soldiers tore through the library but found nothing, save for the shards of snuff jar. They were stomped under their boots before they departed. Buck Becky went to market and left me to clean the mess. She returned with a freshly killed hen and a basket full of beet greens. Before Becky could remove her bonnet, Madame shuffled into the kitchen. What news, Madame demanded, her red eyes perched above dark rings from a sleepless night. A livid purple welt had raised on her left side of her face where Lockton had struck her. Most of the bruises on her arms and shoulders were hid under her gown, but she walked stiff and sore as an old crone. 
Becky gave her the gossip from the market stalls. Conspirators who plotted against the American cause have been arrested all over the city and in several close-by villages. The mayor, two doctors, a shoemaker, a tailor, a chandler, a gunsmith, a drummer, and a fifer were all charged with treason and a host of other offenses. How did they uncover the plot, madam asked. I picked up the beheaded chicken and carried it to a basin. I held it by the feet so that the last of the blood could drain out before I plucked it. Becky hung her hat on its hook and pinned on her apron. One of the conspirators flapped his mouth and the story poured out. Hickey, his name is, a tall Irishman who served in General Washington's lifeguards. Did anyone mention Master Lockton? Only that he was one of them that got away, ma'am. They caught one feller trying to cross the East River. Couldn't row hard enough against the tide. The master is well out of harm's way, which is more than I can say about myself, Madam muttered, gingerly rubbing the violet bruises on her wrist.